0: Don't run away, run away from the truth, because I'm not giving up on you. Do these lyrics sound familiar? Maybe, maybe not. Let's just say I kinda, sorta, mighta just forever be a Disney baby. These are lyrics from one of Disney productions, the 2012 movie, Let It Shine. Anyways, what does this have to do with the episode? Let's just wait and see. Greetings and salutations to you in your car, to you in your bed, to you walking home, to you eating, enjoy your food, to you unwinding or probably multitasking. Big ups, by the way. And maybe, just maybe, there's someone foolishly smiling listening to this that makes you and I both. Welcome to Express and Encompass podcast with your girl next door, also known as Marvelous. So pleased that you could join me once more, or perhaps you're listening for the first time. Welcome to the E&E family, it's all warm and fuzzy this side. In this episode, we'll continue to discuss intimacy, but in relation to the self and the self's surroundings. Please do note, we're not here to compare, contrast, or even challenge who or what is better. We're here to bring light to the fact that not everyone experiences or feels the same way about intimacy. We need to appreciate individual differences because in essence, each and every one of us is unique and complex in our own ways casual generalizing is not so welcome in this field though mind you we are welcome to a whole lot of other things this is a way to help one understand more or less where they may stand thus understand how they may interact with others or make sense of the kind of energies or vibes that they feel more comfortable with understand that i'm going to be very 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 careful with my approach on this because it could be a sensitive topic to some Back to our definition of intimacy from the preceding episode, we understood it as an interaction between people who share closeness in terms of being comfortable enough to share thoughts and feelings. It comprises feeling understood, appreciated and fond of one another. Now, Humans are usually referred to as social animals. We live, thrive, and survive through socializing, but most specifically, having personal and close meaningful relationships is like that special treasured icing on the cake. It's more like the one that no one wants to reveal the secret ingredients to, but we all somehow are convinced that it's scrumptious. Seems like no one wants to miss out on that. Here's a little something I found super, super interesting. The Attachment Theory, which was brought forward by John Balby in 1988, who is also known as the father of the attachment theory. His hypothesis was that they are mental models slash plans of relationships that are created in infancy. Sort of like, you know, there's ideas in your head or representations of what you as an infant would expect from a relationship. At infancy, imagine, how old are you? I mean, you just got here. What do you know about relationships? What do you possibly know? But then again, this shows that our brain not only starts working once we can speak, but even way before then. So... These mental models of relationships form through the quality of interactions with primary caregivers. And also, listen out for this one, listen out for this one. These mental models, plans, or ideas determine the quality of relationships in adulthood. So we can see the pattern, you know, from infancy all the way up until adulthood. In addition to that, they determine whether a person would attach in a secure, preoccupied, or avoidant style with others. I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot. These are known as attachment styles, but that's a story for another day. Well, more like a story for episode 4 specifically. Oh yes, I've just spilled the beans. That's the oh-so-big announcement. That's what to expect for the next episode. Today, though, we focus more on intimacy, not necessarily attachments. Mm -hmm. In short, Balbi's theory shows us the emergence and influence of parent-child relationships and how the child then consequently develops. This is more so for the development of the child's personality. Is there any theory that goes without criticism? I think not. That's like saying everyone agrees that there's one specific right way to make eggs. No. Balbi's theory was criticized for hypothesizing that the parent-child relationship shapes the child's personality. On the contrary, in 1998, J.R. Harris believed that children's personalities were influenced more by their peers than their parents. Think about your personal situation. Do you think you take after your parents' sense of humor? Or lack thereof? Do you think you are as patient or impatient as your folks? The point is peer groups are very influential as children spend more time together in contexts like school community clubs sports clubs and all sorts of extracurricular activities recall times at school be it recently or a while back for the best of us did you find yourself engaging more in activities just because your friends liked them or was there a point when you felt like you needed a change of wardrobe or a new pair of shoes just because this one or that one had them on during your last encounter I think we can all agree that the formation and maintenance of interpersonal relationships is somewhat of a bumpy road. This brings me to the challenges we face in intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy in a general sense. On the other end of the spectrum, a common concern is the fear of intimacy or a particular hesitation, if you may, about the thought of or act of sharing a sense of closeness with others. This may occur in various forms, but we will focus on three major forms of issues people may face in intimacy. Firstly, we will talk about abandonment issues. Essentially, abandonment can be seen as emotional or physical. Physical abandonment is the actual abandoning or neglecting of something, but in this case, someone. Emotional abandonment is now more personal and subjective, so it differs from person to person. This leaves a person feeling alone, unwanted, left out, rejected, and even insecure in most cases. The crucial thing about feeling such things is that it can linger and linger, and not only does it affect you at the time, but it affects you as you stumble across any similar situation that will sort of trigger these feelings. This is even more so when the abandonment came from a place or a person that plays an essential role in one's life, be it a parent or a caregiver or a very good friend. Well, supposedly. The biological impact is also noticeable. It activates the physical pain center of the brain and that is why sometimes we can literally feel the pain in our physical bodies when something bad happens. In addition to that, it can leave something like an emotional stamp on the brain's warning system or the alarm system as what it's commonly known as. What makes up this alarm is a tiny almond-shaped region in the brain that is called the amygdala in the limbic system. So this is basically the emotional part of the brain, right? Um, So the amygdala is the alarm, and as the alarm, it would react a certain way to a triggering situation. This may show up, for example, as an emotional let out or a tantrum that is thrown. So persons who experience emotional abandonment may develop maladaptive thoughts, such as falsely believing that they're a burden whenever they want to reach out to someone for help, for example. Asking for help of any kind be it formal or informal, however, is a normal part of life. One should not feel such an overburden at the thought of it. Part of humanity is lending a helping hand, where and when possible, of course. Maladaptive thoughts can even gradually progress to maladaptive behavior, such as dependence, which, in short, is an excess of leaning on others to make you feel well or strengthened. One may fear that once they get too close to someone, that... They may leave. This is maladaptive because what happens when they're not available? Do you fall apart? It is therefore very important for one to have a solid sense of self in order to relate appropriately to others. It is also important to note that feelings of abandonment on their own are not sufficient to go down as a diagnosis for some psychological disorder. So just because you may relate to some of these above mentioned feelings, it does not mean that you're suffering from some psychological illness. Some people actually go about their normal daily lives despite these emotional difficulties. Adaptive strategies such as social support, engaging more in what one enjoys and staying away from what one dreads and also practicing forgiveness of both self and others, to name a few, are suitable to help get through and cope with these difficulties. (music) then brings me to the second type of issue people face in intimacy. This one is known as a control issue. The concept of control, first of all, can seem so abstract. I say this because can you honestly say that your life is, for example, having control? Is there anything tangible that you can refer to or hold on to that can show that you have control or that there is control? I personally feel that this is a trick question because of the fleeting nature of life itself and its happenings. But anyways, before we get lost in thought, which I must admit is a little bit of a bad habit here at EE, let us define and understand control. On one hand, we have those who do not have a sense of control over themselves. This can include their decisions, their focus, or even personal commitments. This is clearly not limited to the self as one can also lack control in other people and situations. This raises eyebrows for sure. To what extent is it considered acceptable to have control over another person? Well, Perhaps in the case of a parent-child relationship, the parent has some hold over the child. In a friendship and even a romantic relationship, to what extent is it considered appropriate to control a person? Or is the whole concept of control over another person a complete no-no, even if it's unconsciously? our relations are without question a thing when it comes to relationships. You know, the whole give and take, the different personalities being presented, as well as the different interpretations. Because, yes, let's put out there that each and every one of our brains interpret things in their own ways. Of course, there may be similarities, but each and every one of us are unique beings. On the other hand, we have those who feel an obsessive need to control or exert control over themselves and others, or the otherwise infamous control freak. Shh, don't tell them I said anything. The fear of the loss of control can stem from a time when one was put in a compromising situation where they may have felt helpless or vulnerable. Thus the maladaptive resort from then on would be to do whatever they can in their power to never feel powerless again. They find their power from basically sucking out the power from someone else. So this can be correlated with the phenomenon of bullying. A bully may at some point in their life felt like they were not getting enough power or recognition that they desired, so they go ahead and try to find it anywhere else, regardless of the fact that it may be detrimental to someone else. You may be wondering what the example of bullying has to do with intimacy. Remember that the fundamentals of intimacy include closeness, understanding and tenderness so these concepts may not seem as familiar as they could be to a bully or to anyone else really that is struggling with the grips of control and this then stands in the way of them forming any close intimate or meaningful relationships. One effective way of coming to terms with the fear of control is establishing how much your independence means to you and voicing this in relationships and interactions as a way of avoiding feeling like you choked. So in other words, find some kind of common ground. Also, if you need of some kind of power, don't seek power at the cost of another's well-being or even your own. Simple, fun ways you can feel powerful or that you can express yourself through an outfit that makes you feel like the bomb.com. You can also have an inspiration board. So this is like gathering motivational quotes that personally are significant to you, as well as pictures of people that you admire and look up to. And also, please stand up straight. No, seriously, fix your posture now. And if you're sitting, sit up straight as well. Yes, you. The third and final issue, according to this episode, that is, that people may face in intimacy with others, is the fear of rejection. This can be understood, generally speaking, that one fears that they may be judged by other people or maybe even rejected. Emotional rejection is related to the feeling of disappointment and distress over not being accepted or accommodated in a large group setting or even a smaller scale of friendships or romantic relations. So more specifically, in these kinds of closer relationships, one may feel that once they disclose their flaws, that people may no longer want anything to do with them. This is obviously an issue that hinders a sense of closeness or otherwise intimacy in the relationship. Now we ask ourselves, where could these fears possibly come from? What are the roots? What experiences leave us feeling so fearful? How much does it mean to us in such a case? There are various roots of the fear of rejection, but if you include feeling sadly, feeling physically unattractive, being neglected or unloved as a child so you feel like your emotional needs as a child were not met these can really leave a person scarred and impact how they interact from then on the worst case scenario i believe is that it can even cause someone to reject others in order to avoid being rejected themselves that is that is quite heavy that is a heavy one But there are thankfully, thankfully, a wide variety of therapeutic approaches that are used by mental health professionals. Studies reveal that rejection is one of the strongest, most upsetting events that people can experience. Rejection stings a whole lot. It even has the power to compromise the way one perceives the quality of their life. It got me thinking, who wouldn't want to feel like they belong? What lengths would you go to to feel accepted? What are some of your morals and values that you could just bend a little bit to feel like you're part of something? Of course, yes. It's not always a bad thing to go out of your way to feel like you belong. It's a way of adapting. In some cases, if you find yourself somewhere unfamiliar with unfamiliar people and unfamiliar lifestyles. My take on all of this is another one of my favorite words. Drumroll, please. That most probably was not a drum, but let's pretend it comes close to it. As I was saying, this is another one of my favorite words. And there it goes. Authenticity. So the more you make it too much of a big deal to receive acceptance, the more you possibly disconnect yourself from your true authentic self. Now, how do you define authenticity? Maybe that's where the problem is. What do you define as your truest, truest self from within, not from any distractions or any noise from the outside? These above-mentioned intimacy issues, namely abandonment issues, control issues, and fear of rejection, are all heavy, sensitive, real-life issues, which do call for professional help. But I'm only currently here to bring a better understanding of these issues and possibly the roots. I truly believe that in order for one to solve a problem, they must understand the causes thoroughly. But of course, in order for us to understand them to the best of our abilities, we need to be comfortable enough to even bring them up and discuss them and also admit that they have played a role in how we view ourselves and how we view others. Therefore, I will again bring to light the previously mentioned disclaimer. Until I receive my license, this podcast is only a platform to learn, discover, but not to offer any professional advice or counseling. From what we have learnt or what we should have picked up is that once we are more intimate or more in tune with ourselves, we get to know ourselves better. Not only is this, but it facilitates our interactions with our surroundings and also the people around us. So, in connection to the previous episode. The more in tune or the more aware or intimate we are with ourselves, the more it facilitates our interactions with others. This means that when you face certain issues within interpersonal relationships, it may be that you need to introspect and dig deep within yourself to detect any gaps. Figurative gaps, that is. So, it's been a very intimate two episodes. As we wrap up the topic of intimacy, both self-intimacy and intimacy with others, I leave you with this. How would you describe your relationship with your surroundings currently? Your surroundings including your home, your workplace, place of study, and the people in your life. Are there things you could work on or do you feel like you are at the top of your game? Question mark, question mark, question mark. listen out for a preview of the next episode we'll be touching on attachments not only will we look at classic theories but we'll also look at the modern day definition of attachments also a little bit of the online scene oh no i didn't oh yes i did from express and encompass from me to you not only is it okay to express yourself but it is essential thank you for listening